Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, this is an end of season review and look at where we could improve Reading, maybe move forward. Trying not to be too downbeat, but also being realistic. Um, can't say anything but kind of average, really, season. But to help me talk through it, I've been joined by Redden FC legend, A.D. Williams. Hi, A.D. Good evening. And I've also joined by Alex Everson. Hi, Alex. Oh, it's a delight to be at the end of the season at long last. It is. Yeah, it is definitely, isn't it? That's the overriding mood. It's like, oh, I don't have to watch Reading. I was just thinking that yesterday. On uh, at the weekend, thinking I've had such a good weekend, and then I realised it's because I haven't had to endure Reading FC. How was your weekend, Aidy, without Reading FC? Yeah, do you know what? I think Paul, you've got to be honest. You've got to switch off sometimes. You know, obviously now I talk about it a lot, and you know I watch the games. Obviously, slightly different because of the COVID, but I think all Reading fans are you know, hand on heart, just ready for a break. I know it's only a short break, but I, I really do. And do you know what? I've never seen such a big swing prior to the season, obviously halting, if you like, because of the coronavirus, because we was all full of expectations. We thought nine games to go when the season resumes. Do you know what? If we could get off to a flying start, maybe win the first two, you never know what goes on. We never got off at all, did we? We, we never got off and running. We never got out second gear. And all of a sudden, I think after about the third game, it just fizzled out. And I think we're all counting counting down the games to finish the season. I, I think that's an honest opinion of a Reading fan. Yeah, definitely. If you look at that first game when we come back from lockdown, last-minute equaliser, Jao goes off the pitch, and then all of a sudden the team just collapses, basically. We're just so reliant on that one striker up front, Alex. What did, what did you think is your mood now the season's finished? I mean, I'm glad that the season's over. Um, I think 80's, 80's pretty much got his spot on. After, I mean, the, what, two weeks before this football came back, I think a lot of Reading fans were optimistic. Um, there was probably a little bit of uh, over-optimism, I guess, with the talk of the playoffs. I think we were, what, 10 points off the playoffs coming back. Um, it was maybe a little bit over-optimistic, over but, yeah, the optimism kind of died out pretty much, what, 93 minutes after football came back when Stoke equalised against us. Um and then obviously we lost to Derby the week after and pretty much after that it was just a case of count, counting down the remainder of the games. And uh, so, yeah, it's definitely good that there's a break now. It's honestly, in all honesty, as much as missed, I missed football during the time we had off, what was it, three months off, um, it's quite nice just to be able to know that there's not any football now for six weeks or so. Um, obviously, we've got the transfer window now and that, 
comes with its own uh, comes with its own situations, I guess. But uh, I'm sure we'll end up getting onto transfers at some point. Yeah, no, definitely. It's um, we've seen all the players that have left recently. We've seen Gareth McCleary, Chris Gunter, Charlie Adams. The end is this: we saw Masika going, the Facebook legend for Reading, who actually never really played that much. <laughs> she seems to have a huge impact on that. Eddie, what do you think of the players who've left the club? None of them are really that surprising, are they, with their contracts? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, for me, I guess, you know, you look at the younger ones because the likes of Gunter and McCleary, they've been brilliant servants, you know. And, and it's strange how it's happened, don't get me wrong, but it's been happening for a while. You know, obviously, you know, Mr Gomez was looking to offload, whether it was... Uh, football ability, football reasons, or whether it's because of finances, because of big wages. But, you know, these boys could see it coming. The end was nigh in many ways. Although, obviously, Chris, you know, had a decent spell. He came in, I think, for the Leeds game. I think Yeardon was injured for the Leeds game. He came in, he was outstanding. I mean, to, to come back under pressure against top-of-the-table Leeds, you know, he, he, he played a magnificent game. And he had a decent spell. And you, you think, well, hang on a minute, he's, he's a number one right back while year Dom's injured. So, uh, but ultimately, I, I think a lot's been said on social media. Obviously, it's come out that uh, allegedly that, you know, Gareth found out via a phone call, which is, you know, never great if that's the case. I, I'm always a little bit wary when you hear things on social media. I always like to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But if that's the case, then no, possibly a little bit disrespectful. But we could tell, we knew that the end was, was coming for Gunter and McCleary. The 26-year-olds, I think they are, is it Blackett and Abita? I think Abita will play, you know, 46. If, if, if he can get himself fit, if he can get him, you know, because obviously he's had some serious injuries now and, and major operations. But if, if he can stay fit, I think he'll, he'll do a good job for somebody. So i a little bit surprised at that. I don't know what sort of wages he's on. You know, whether they're big wages or, or not, whether it's because he's had serious injuries, because he's had operations on his knees, they might be treading a little bit carefully. But for me, I think I might have thrown a contract at a beta. I may have done. That, that, that's just my opinion. The others, Charlie, you know, great lad, great experience, great career, not getting any younger, didn't play as many games as he wanted to. Biggish wages, I'm sure, you know, maybe not the big wages that some of the boys are earning, but, you know, decent wages. But I think I think age is more of a factor with, with Charlie and, and where Reading are looking to go rather than, you know, building a future around 34, 35, 36-year-olds. Yeah, no, no, I totally yeah. agree with that. The one player who I definitely would have liked to have kept was Tyler Blacker, but he was never going to stay because he got a better offer. Well, I suspect he has got a better offer somewhere else. And good luck to him. I think he's done really well in the last season, Alex. What do you think of the players that we've let go? Um, yeah, like Eddie said, none of them are that surprising, I think. Um, I mean, to lose McCleary and Gunter, is, that was, that's been coming for 18 months, realistically, pretty much since Gomez came in. And it's, it's, uh, to be honest, it's surprising that it's taken this long for them to leave. Um, if it wasn't for wages, I imagine they would have been gone last summer. So that's not really that surprising. I think Gunter obviously had a decent season, like Eddie was saying. Uh, he, I mean, he came in and he played over 20 games this season, uh, which for what essentially was a backup right back at the start of the season is a really quite a high proportion of minutes, really, from, from him. Um, everybody else who's left, I don't really think has had a massive impact, to be honest, this season. I know Charlie Adam had a 
decent spell of what maybe seven eight games uh, around the Christmas period. Um, but the problem was, as soon as he loses a little bit of fitness, he becomes, you know, he, he just became like a, a roadblock. Um, he, he just didn't didn't keep up with the play. So it doesn't surprise me that he's left. It wouldn't, and I, I think you'll probably end up seeing him either playing back up in Scotland or potentially at Blackpool um, if if they can afford him again. Um, and yeah, Jordan Abit is probably the only one. I, I do agree with Ad. He's he's one I would have maybe liked to have seen stay, but I think there's a there's definitely a, a case to be made for him to have stayed. However, you would end up with a bit of a situation I think where you have two left backs, so you'd have Richards and the Beta, and neither of them are really kind of imposing themselves as the first choice, potentially. Um, I do think that Abita has got an issue, potentially, with being able to prove his fitness. Um, obviously, he had, what, two years out, and then even this season, I think the longest run of games he had was about six, seven games in a row. Uh, and It's not, I mean, it's just not like he's had 20, 25 games in a row um, throughout the season. He's really struggled to kind of get a real run of game, uh, game time on the field. So it'd be nice to see him get picked up by somebody in the championship. But um, I mean, if he's not, again, I think he'll he'll kind of get a League One club top end and and play 40 games next season for them as long as he stays fit and uh, pr- probably proves that he's more than capable of doing so and, and get himself back into the championship very quickly. Can I yeah, just, I just, so. Paul, just, just quickly what Alex said, and I agree with Alex, and it's quite an important one, actually, because, you know, when you're offloading players, let's be honest, I know Reading financial situation isn't great, it's a little bit dire, to say the least, but you, you do need a plan, you know, it's a, it's a multi-billion pound industry, you've got some serious people behind the scenes that don't just think offload, offload, offload without a plan. So what Alex said there is right, so to me, it looks like Omar Richards only the left back at the club, really, right now. You know, if there was a, a game tomorrow with no Blackett, no Abita, you'd play Omar Richards, wouldn't you? I'm sure, as a left back. So, does Bowen see Omar Richards as a, a 46-game, you know, player next season? Or is he going to go and get a left back, you know, a, a, an established or a, a, a left back that will start the season? And, uh, you know, Omar Richards will be the number two. So all these wages that are leaving the club, you know, it's interesting where Reading will go. Will they go and get a proven left-back, an experienced left-back, or say to Omar Richards, who wouldn't be on huge wages, you know what, right now, you're going to start the season, let's see where we go, and then you can maybe make our mind up whether we have to dabble in the transfer market as a left-back, or, you know, go and get that striker we've been looking for for about 300 years. But it's a good point. Yeah, no, definitely. It feels like 300 years, AD, I can tell you that. But I mean, I suppose the part of it is, is kind of like, it is the financial fair play situation there at the moment, which we don't know how COVID's going to affect that. And just the finances of the club aren't great. But if you combine those two together, that's another reason. Because if you look at the Jordan Abid situation, he said that he was offered a club, a contract by the club at the start of lockdown. And then it was taken away. I know none of, I don't know why that was. But it, is that part of it? I don't know. Maybe the impact of COVID is so severe that it's really just completely destroying our kind of ability to plan and getting new players for next season, Alex. Well, I mean, with, with 
I guess the combination of COVID and FFP, I'm going to kind of treat them as one for now because it's just a reduced, I guess it's a reduced outgoings uh, scenario here for transfers. You're really going to have to start looking at free transfers, um, lower league transfers. I know that it's Josh Laurent, is Laurent or Laurent, I'm not quite sure I pronounce his surname, but it has been pretty widely, you know, widely rumoured to be signing on a free. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Obviously, Morrison signed on a free last summer. and I mean, he, he ended up having the most appearances out of anybody in the club this season. So that was an excellent signing. If you can pull together two or three free transfers who end up producing 35 games each, you're, you're going to transform your squad overnight. But it's, it's going out and finding those players and, and having, having the plan of, of what kind of style of football you want to play with them, I guess. Yeah, definitely you can get three signings, can't you? Look at Andy Idham. He's coming and done a great job. I mean, when people say free signings, nobody comes for free now. Nothing is free in football. The fee goes, not the fee, but the big chunk goes to a player. So looking at recruitment, out of the beginning of summer last year, which seems a long, long time ago, we went a little bit crazy with the Puskas, Pele, Ijaria, Raphael, if I go through all of those players, just off the top of my head, and obviously Morrison as well, none of them... Sorry? Yeah, Joe as well. Sorry, yeah, I've signed so many players. None of them maybe you look at and say, I've been a bad signing, but maybe none of them have really been a huge success. Good point, because I like Ajaria. I like Pele on his day. I like Luca Joe. You know, when he got injured, we've spoken weekly how much... We missed him as that big, strong, physical target man. Uh, Raphael, fantastic goalkeeper. You know, look at Martinez. We all said the same about Martinez. Look at him now. You know, so he's gone on strength to strength. Uh, who else did we say? Who else did you say? It's Miazga. Yes, Miazga. Miazga steady. I've got no problem with Miazga. Would he be in my starting back four, two centre-halves? I don't know. I mean, he's a very, very decent backup. I think the one that we, we allude to, although he's not alone, is Pushkas because that was the big chunk of money. This was the, the Romanian international where a lot of clubs were, were looking at this, this lad and uh, all of a sudden Reading's got him. Now, I don't know. Money talks. I understand now. I've been a player. I know agents are involved and money does talk. But if there were that many clubs and if he was that, really proven and that highly regarded, I'm surprised that Reading got him. Now, at the time of the signing, I thought, well, do you know what? And I still believe this. I think the owners have backed the last three or four managers. I, I really do believe that, you know, rightly or wrongly with, you know, the, the, the finances that have come out, we've chucked a lot of money around and that money comes from the owners. So, you know, we, we put a lot of eggs in one basket with Pushkas and did it come off? I don't know, really. I mean, I don't think it was a bad signing. What did he end up with? A dozen goals or something? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. You know, so it's not brilliant. His play wasn't brilliant. His hold-up play wasn't brilliant. He didn't start that many... Well, you know, he didn't start all the games. He was a bit part player at the time, and he still gets you a dozen goals. I don't think it worked, and I totally agree with you, Paul. I wouldn't say it's a bad signing. The problem is, if you're throwing seven, eight million quid plus wages you probably want 20 goals and, and you know, better all-round play and your number one striker. Is he our number one striker? Definitely not, because you would put Zhao in front of him. And although Mate plays on the wing, 
you'd have to say Mate is is in front of him in the packing order when it comes to goals. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's not against him. It's not a reflection on his efforts or his ability. It's just you think when we spend that much money, and it happens to Red, and I've seen it happen to us so many times. You make a big signing. And it seems to be the more they spend, the more of a letdown they are sometimes. And I wouldn't say Puskas is a huge letdown, because I don't think that's the case, because he has got 12 goals. So you've got to say that's, that those goals have been critical in us staying up. But I just expect a little bit more in his all-round play. Ability to control the ball sometimes and hold it up and link play a little bit more. And I just think there's too much of a gap in that with Lucas Jow. I think Lucas Jow's got that completely. And I agree, if he was fit, he'd play straight away. But Lucas Yell, Lucas Yell won't get you 15 goals. No, no, that's a fair point. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you've got a... Uh, Jamie Curran wouldn't do a lot outside the box. You know, Curran would put his hand up to that. And, and, and Pushkush's game is not outside the box. Now, if he's playing up there on his own, you know, he needs decent service. He needs uh, runners to, to get in behind him. Like when Nicky Forster played up front, I know we're going back a long time. You had like James Arthur, you had Luke Chadwick, I see on social media. You had Glenn Little, you had, you know, um, Sidwell, you had Andy Hughes. These players that were, you know, making the runs to, to support him and help him out. Pushkush's game is in the box for me. You know, he's not quite a fox in the box. I wouldn't want to just say he's an out-and-out Adam Lafondre or, you know, goal scorer. But his, his game isn't outside the box. Get it in the box. I think he comes alive. And I think every year, if he plays 42 games, I think he'll get you at least a dozen 15 goals. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, I mean, when you look at how Pushkas actually converted his chances this season, he got 12 goals. He's scoring just under one in five of his shots this season. It's not as if he's had a bad... You know, bad bad run of form in front of goal. I think it's he doesn't actually have enough shots, um, which I think is partly down to the fact that behind him, creatively, we 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 are not creative enough either out wide or behind him. Despite the fact that obviously Swift has had an excellent season, we don't actually give the ball to Pushkas where he needs it. Like he says, he's a player who's going to thrive in the box. Um, if you're asking him to play with his back to goal, 30 yards from goal, it's difficult to see him scoring 20 goals a season. Um, but obviously when he was signed, he was signed under Gomez and the style of play he's been bought in and to play into when Gomez was here is obviously very different to what Bowen is now trying to play. And uh, I don't think Pushkas is necessarily Bowen's first choice. And I don't really think that um, Bowen would be Pushkas's first choice of manager necessarily in terms of style of play. Um, so I think it's kind of making the best of almost a bad situation with uh, with that now. You've, you've gone out and spent the money and you you can't just write push gas off because he's like like we said, he's he scored 12 goals this season. Um, you don't want to just get rid of him because it's throwing money, throwing money down the drain. Um, but you've got to come up with a plan for next season to get him in the box more and, and have people supplying the ball to him more, I think. Otherwise, Some players... Just, some, sorry, some players are clearly better, as Alex says, with their back to goal. I'll name you one, Jason Roberts. Jason Roberts, with his back to goal, you know, I played against Robbo, I played with Robbo, and he wants to roll you, he wants to fill you, he wants you to get too tight because he can out-muscle you, out-strength you, roll you, you know, all these things. He, he needs a centre-half right up him, you know, like I say, so that he can get physical with him. Now, Pushkus doesn't want that. Pushkus doesn't want to get involved in all that because nine times out of ten, 
you know, the big centre-half is going to be dominant, uh, dominant. He's going to go through him. He's going to shrug him off. He tries to roll him. He'll, he'll out-strengthen him. You know, Pushkas comes alive in the box. When he's facing the goal, he's looking out wide for the cross to come into the box. That's when he comes alive. Certain players are better with their backs to goal. Others, you know, complete opposite. And, and I think Pushkas, like Addict said, is, is the complete opposite to, to somebody like Jason Roberts. He wants to be in the box. He wants to be coming on the end of things. He doesn't want to be facing, you know, his own sort of play, if you like. He wants to be on the turn. He wants to face, you know, the opposition's goal because that's where he wants to put the ball. I mean, how, yeah. how much do you have to play, though? If you're going to play with no natural wingers, if you're going to play with Mate and then, I guess, Ajara or Elise out wide, it's if the ball you can't get the ball out wide enough, you're not able to put the ball in the box and uh, supply those crosses into a striker. And if that's the kind of formation style that Bowen's going to play, I, I can't see that Pushkas is going to get say 15 goals next season or maybe he gets 15 but I can't see him going on and getting say 20 goals next season if we're insistent on playing this 4-3-3 style and I know that Bowen's mentioned about the fact that he wants to try and get two up front and he's tried it a couple of times and it's it's worked once or twice maybe and not other times uh, slightly because I think of the midfield um, and not necessarily giving a particularly solid foundation to that but um yeah, I, I think there's definitely a there's definitely a case for changing the style of play to suit Pushkas more. If you're going to go out and spend eight million pounds on a player, you want to play to his strengths, right? Uh, I mean, look at the goals that he scored against Cardiff and QPR, where he he's running from 30, 40 yards away from goal and then finishing. It's not like he can't do it. He can, he's got the he's got the pace and he's got the ability to do that kind of uh, to do that. But you you know, if you're if you're going to be insistent on him playing. 25 yards out from goal with his back to goal and have to bring the midfield into play I think you're going to you're going to see him get 10-12 goals again next season and and basically struggle to uh, struggle to kind of like break through that break through up to where Mitrovic is or where Watkins is you're not going to see that No, it's, it's, I'd be interested to see how he does in his second season as well you know he has had to come over from Romania. He's in a new country. He's got to adapt to all of that, and he's also had to go through this whole situation, which we all have with COVID. But that's even weirder if you're not in your home country. I would suspect as well. But as a Reading FC season is never complete now without a change of manager. We just cannot do a whole one. So this season we lost Jose Gomez after 11 games. He left when we had eight points. Eddie, you must have got to know Jose quite well with a radio Berkshire where that you've done. What were your thoughts on him and his spell at Reading FC? Uh, wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. Very surprised why he got the job. I still don't know why he got the job. You know, people were saying at the time I was being very hard. Well, my job now as a, as a pundit is to ask the questions. And I think there were far better candidates at that time than Jose Gomez. Now, as a person, loved him. Charisma, you, you, you know, passion, looked the part. He came up and he spoke to us and he was honest and he was this and that. And you can't help but like the fellow. You know, he's got the twinkle in his eye, all of that. But that's irrelevant to me because you give me Neil Warnock any day, you'll get your results. So, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work. I don't like managers getting sacked. I don't like to see managers getting sacked. I don't feel sorry for managers. I've never felt sorry for a manager getting sacked. I can sympathise with managers because... You know, maybe their hands are tied or they were promised things and they didn't 
get them and injuries or suspensions, you know, I, I get that. I can sympathize, but I don't feel sorry for them because they earn a good wage and it's a nice job, trust me. So Jose Gomez wasn't up to it. I'm sorry, as a football manager, very surprised he got the job. And I think me personally, I know there was a lot of hoo-ha when Boeing got the job because he was a sporting director and everything that went with that. And it was good that Boeing came out fairly early and said, do you know what, me and Jose, we've got no problem and this, that and the other. And we cleared that one up. But going back, I, I think Boeing was a good decision for Reading at that time. The job for any manager at that time was to steady the ship. Bowen did it. He got an immediate impact. I think he won his first game, was it against Preston, albeit in the 95th minute or something. We went on a nice little run. We steadied the ship. And that is the reason why we haven't been relegated. And that is the reason I think the last three games, although we've lost this season, would have been a relegation scrap a lot longer if Jose Gomez was still in charge. And that's just my opinion. I like the fella, but... He knew nothing really about the championship and the results and performances were not good enough. Yeah, you must have been in teams, AD, when you know you're coming to the end of the season as well. Like you said, the three matches we lost. And you know your players around you are leaving. You're not quite sure where you're going to be. The motivation in the squad must kind of decrease slightly. As much as everyone found would say, oh, I'd love to go out there and play. Well, we're not good enough. Never have been. So this is, in that situation, what is it like, AD? You should always be playing for something. I can't quite get the motivational one because every time I put a shirt on, even if you've got a contact, you, you, you know, you feel like you've got obligation to, to, to Reading fans, to the football club, who are paying huge amounts of money now for, 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 for players in wages. So, you know, you could be playing for your future. If you're somebody that's been, you know, unfortunately injured fairly frequently last season or two, someone like Jordan Abita, you're, you're playing to prove your fitness. Uh, if you're somebody like John Swift, you could be playing to get your big move, Premier League move. So, you know, if you're somebody like Charlie Adam, you could be possibly playing to show that you can still do the job in the championship at 34 years of age. So someone come and get me, you know, so I think there's always something to play for. So I don't get the I'm not motivated one. And I, I'm not one to just stick up for professional footballers because I was one in the past. I've never really, honestly, hand on heart, gone onto a, a pitch with any other player that hasn't tried. Every player tries. Every player, you know, wants to win. Every player wants to play well. Trust me. I've never got onto a pitch with a player saying, I hope I don't play well today. I hope I get stick on social media today. I hope I get a four out of ten in the paper today. I've never known that. But the thing is, when things go bad and you don't play well and things don't happen and you've missed a couple of chances, you've given away a penalty, you've been sent off. Most people say, oh, the passion's gone, the commitment's gone, the effort's gone. That isn't always the case for me. So just going back to your point, Paul, I've never played with anyone that hasn't given 100%. If that was the case, the teams that I've been involved in, trust me, would have let them know and they would have stuck a rocket somewhere where I can't say on social media. But, you know, let's give the lads even the lads that haven't been playing, even the lads that haven't been involved, it's not their problem. It's not their fault. They can't get the manager to pick them. So, you know, people will give somebody like Barrow or Masika or McCleary or these players stick because they're not involved and they're on big wages. Well, that's not the player's problem. No, no, if you get a contract, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? You, you've, got, 
you can't say it's up to the manager, like you say. You, when you sign for a club, you don't say, oh, well, I'll give some money back if I don't play. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, you're not I mean, I, I, think, I think motivation is a very convenient excuse for fans, more than anything. You, you, get the, uh, you get the fans come out and say, oh, players aren't motivated. Uh, and what, why are we losing games? Why are we struggling at the end of the season? Because we've got nothing to play for. Um, however, when you look at, you know, if we'd gone on and won three games at the end of the season there, would people have been saying, oh, well, yeah, we've, we had nothing to play for and it's motivation and they're playing with, you know, momentum. It's, it's a convenient football fan excuse to say momentum, I think. It's not, uh, not momentum, sorry, uh, motivation. It, it's just one of the kind of, you're looking for a reason for something happening. I think that's what it is. And, and realistically, why wouldn't be players motivated? I think Matt summed it up well on our last podcast where he said at the end of the day, players are, like, players are playing to their own respect and their own pride. Like they're professional footballers at the end of the day, and I'm sure AD's, AD's seen it. There's players aren't going out there and, and not trying. Why would you? What's the like? What do you benefit from doing that? Um, you don't benefit from playing badly ever. So why why would you? Um, so I think it's a yeah, it's a convenient excuse to say that kind of motivation is a, a, not there when players play and play badly. And, um, I think it's just a you know, it's a coincidence that we tail off when we've got nothing to play for, but we've got nothing to play for because we're playing average football. So it's kind of, you know, the result is the result is one or the other. So you um, you end up just seeing seeing players or seeing fans say that you're uh, not motivated. It it can't can't exactly feel good for uh, for squad members, I imagine. Just, just, just quickly, Paul. I think you know managers, someone like Mark Bowen, because we're talking about Reading. Let's talk about Mark Bowen and his backroom staff. Got some experienced people there. You know, Elie Nizveski. I know John O'Shea's coming through. Michael Jilks is on the scene. You know, a lot of you know experience. Managers aren't stupid, and and players aren't stupid. You know, I've been in a team, and if I thought somebody wasn't trying, the manager would see it, the backroom staff would see it, the bench would see it, the players would see it, and. If there were fans at the stadium, the fans would see it and he'd be dragged off. We'd make sure if we thought that that player was not giving everything and he was backing out of tackles and, and you know, not making that run and not tracking his runner, we would get him off. We, we would say to the manager, he's not at it, he's not bothered, drag him off, blah, blah, blah. So they're not stupid. And I agree with Alex. You know, we can all say, well, they're not motivated, we've got nothing to play for. I'll go back to my point. Every time you go on the pitch, there's always something to play for. No, hopefully this is what we want to see, isn't it? It's just hopefully it will kind of... Well, Mark Bowen, I think, has been a good appointment. He hasn't lit Reading FC up. He hasn't been a sensational appointment. But when, we, when he came into the club, we were in a dire position. We were lost. I think before he came in, we lost five of our last six matches. We didn't look like we could defend at all. We were absolutely clueless at defending. And we were just committing kamikaze football at the back. <laughs> I think he is the person that can get us through this difficult period in the next few years. Because financially, it's such a worry with the club. If you look at the numbers that have come out, isn't it? you just got to think, we need somebody who's going to keep us up, realistically. I think, when you look at, yeah, I think when you look at um, Bowen, you're not, you're not going to see a manager who necessarily is really ever going to have a problem of a team getting relegated. He plays very pragmatic football, and he plays football 
which as harsh as it sounds, he plays football not to lose some of the time rather than to go out and win. Um, and I, I guess that might not necessarily be the, the case, but it, it comes across that he plays tight games of football. Um, we don't we don't ever really see us getting beaten teams by three goals. Um, and I mean, we have seen a couple of occasions where we've lost by three goals, but uh, I think in the, for the majority, it's it's a case of we, we play very tight games and we play kind of on the margins, as it were. Um, there was a there was a question on social media I saw today around do, do you think the Bowen poll actually improves players within the squad or do you think he'll be able to improve players within the squad? Um, I mean, Elise is going to be the obvious example. Um, and I guess to an extent, Ajaria, if he signs on a permanent deal, um, we'll see. Don't, don't know whether that one's going to come off or not. But obviously these players are going to be players of like a lot of potential going forwards. And uh, if the potential is met, then they're going to be sold in, I don't know, maybe a year, two years time for could be eight, nine, ten, who knows? It could be a lot of millions of pounds and, and very significant to Reading. Um, but do you think that Bowen's going to be able to kind of get that potential out of them? So, I mean, if you look at Tom McIntyre, I think he's definitely improved this year. Would he have improved anyway, playing alongside like Liam Moore? It's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Omar Richards, he's come on as well. Is he um, definitely first place? Left back, I'm not sure. Is Tom? Probably not. Um, what do you think, A? Do you think Bowen is a manager who can prove players? I think defensively, he definitely can. Well, he should be able to, and yeah. in his rescue, because they've been coaching for for 20 odd years, like at the yeah. highest level. And I'm talking not just in the Premier League, I'm talking international level as well. So, you know, they have played and coached with some world class players. Um, so I don't doubt that because. I know their coaching is the top draw, and I, I and I know that. So I think they will improve players. Tom McIntyre is a great point. He's a young lad. He's getting better every season. Great future, bright future. I just think Mark Bowen knows he needs a clear out. He's having that clear out now. He's getting rid of the people that he doesn't want about, and I'm sure one or two maybe that he would like to stay, but financially he can't afford. So that's just football, I'm afraid. When when your football club's struggling financially, but I think Bowen's got a plan. I said on the radio three, four weeks ago now, I think it was, I'm quite excited about next season. I think as Reading fans, which I am, I think we've let Reading off a little bit too much. I think the bar as used to be up there. The bar seems to be down here now. And if we finish like we have done this season, 14th, losing the last three games, we're OK because we weren't in a relegation dogfight. I can't accept that as a Reading fan. You know, five of the last six years, other than the Yapstans you know, first year in charge, we've been in the lower third, you know, fighting relegation. Okay, we weren't really fighting relegation for the last nine games or so, but I'm still not particularly happy with 14. So the answer to your question, I think Bowen knows what he needs to do. Have a clear out, sort the dressing room out, get good people in and around the dressing room. I keep saying it, Sean Dyche. I like more about Sean Dyche the more I hear. Four words, minimum requirement, maximum effort. That's four words. And that's, you know, when he's looking at players, the minimum requirement is maximum effort. Simple. I think it's good. I think Bowen knows the score. You've got to surround yourself with good people. I had a bit of a ding-dong with someone on Twitter the other day. It wasn't a ding-dong. But, you know, someone challenged me and said, I don't like being challenged. 
I do because I, I, I reply to as many people as I can and I'm not scared to reply and I hope they have an opinion and I have an opinion definitely and if we don't agree then that's not a problem. We don't get personal. We say have a good evening and, and that's what it is. And the point was, I'm now talking and I've forgotten what the point was, um, uh, about me saying that I'm excited about next season. Why, basically? Well, because I think Bowen knows he needs a clear up. And I think Bowen knows that he needs good people in that dressing room. And I think a dressing room full of good people, this is it, the fella said that I would sooner a dressing room of winners. I said the 106 team, I don't think anything, I don't think any of those players had won anything before. So because you're good people, because it's a good environment, that will create winners for me. And we haven't got that at the moment, I'm sorry to say. Now, people will say, well, how do you know? Because you're not in the dressing room. Well, that's just my opinion. I think we need a clear out. Bowen knows we need to clear out. Surround yourself with good people in a good environment. Then you'll start winning football matches. Definitely. I, mean, I remember speaking to Brian McDermott about recruitment and the ability to get the right characters into the club just makes such a difference. It just leads by example on a daily basis, mustn't it? You just, if you have a whole bunch of people who are so going for the same goal, it's going to make life so much easier for the manager and it builds its own natural momentum in the changing room, surely. Koppel said about that 106 team, one of the reasons, the main reason why they were successful was because none of them had the success. None of them had played in the Premier League. None of them knew what it felt like. They were hungry. They, they wanted to get there. They wanted to get their individuals and they wanted to get there collectively as a team, as a football club. And, and they were good people. They were good lads. They hadn't won anything before. But if you can create that and you've got decent players, which helps, then you'll, you know, you'll start winning. You'll start winning on the football pitch, the mentality, everything will change. And, and that was, and that's what I believe in. And I think Bowen knows that. Bo himself said that he's had too much mediocrity in the last few years. And I think he's absolutely bang on with that. He will know that far more than me. That's what's earned. He's inside it. He understands what's happening. So, Alex, are you, what are your thoughts on next season? Do you think it's going to be... I think I feel like it could be a bit more positive. If you get the right players in, we're going to see younger players, I'll assume. It could be OK, couldn't it? Um... Yes, it could be okay. Uh, I, I feel you're taking me down here, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't want to come across as easily negative. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, there's definitely a chance that we could improve, and, and I think top half is realistic next season potentially. I know that there's a lot of cause for concern around transfers and who we might lose, and but realistically, I think the, the main issue we've had this season is. Um, individual errors at the back and then going forwards we just haven't really created enough individual errors is not something that you're going to necessarily be able to kind of train out of players that's going to coach out of players I don't think I think that's going to come with a turnover at the back um, and hopefully a more kind of coherent unit as well I think I don't know how many players we've played at the back this season but you've obviously got Yeardom, Gunter, Richards, Blackett, Miazga, Morrison, Moore um, even McIntyre, they all played over 15 games this season. There is not like a solid back four like you had in, say, the 106 season or even the season 11-12 when we won the league. And you had the same back four the entire season, pretty much, with very competent backups who didn't necessarily get all that many minutes. Um, 
So I would hope that next season we see a much more consistent 11 um, and a much kind of stronger knowledge of, from Bowen as to what the team is. I think Reading fans will be a lot more willing to get behind an 11 that they see every week who are putting in, as Eddie was saying, kind of maximum effort every week. Um, you know, if we don't if we don't get to the playoffs and yet you've seen players put in maximum effort, are you going to be that bothered? I mean, to an extent, but nowhere near as much as if, you, as if you see some of the examples we've seen this season from players who come across at least as if they're not putting in the effort on the field. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for next season just to see kind of the change in the change in what Boeing is proposing. Um, and it, obviously, we could get into 10, 10 games in and I'm sitting here saying Bowen probably needs to go, but um, hopefully not, fingers crossed. Um, I think, that, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see the change in how Reading are lining up and how, how they're actually coming at games going forwards um, under Bowen. He's had the, what, seven months now, or longer than seven months, however many months it's been. It's been a long season. Um, he's had the majority of this season kind of, I think, to get his feet under the table, be the number one for the first time. Um, and this summer, I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be important to him in terms of that clear out and that turnover, as AD was saying, getting in players that he wants. Um, and if he, if he manages that and he gets in, he gets in the majority of the people and the, the type of people that he wants to see, then yeah, I think next season's got the potential to be to be exciting. Um, whether that means we're going to be playoffs or top half, I don't I don't know. It's going to obviously be massively dependent on on what happens in the next six seven weeks. But um, I think there's definitely a reason to kind of be looking forward to next season. Hopefully. I hope so. I think I feel I'm slightly more optimistic. Maybe uh, like six weeks away will do me good from it. I guess this gets a bit too intense sometimes watching us and kind of, you just, you can see the script, what's going to happen, especially at home, having our worst home record. Most I mean, defeats in 100 years. The know, one thing yeah. we have to improve at home is we have to score from open play more. We only yeah. scored 12 goals this season from open play at home. And we that's, played 23 yeah. matches. That's, that's utterly abysmal. And like that shouldn't be accepted by any any fan. Um, I mean, when you compare that to like the, the high scoring teams in this league, Brentford got 29 from open play, Fulham got 27 from open play. You don't, I don't expect Reading to be getting 30 from open play at home. But you, if you're not getting to 20 goals a season at home from open play, then frankly, you're probably not attacking the game enough and, and trying to utilize the fact that you've got that home advantage. Yeah, it's going to be a big start to the season, isn't it, for Mark Bowen? He's going to have to make sure he gets off to a steady enough start. I don't think his job's in any peril at all at the moment because he's done the job that he's been asked to come in and do. Yeah, home form has been poor. You know, Bowen will know that. And I agree with Alex, you know, you've got to score from open play at home in front of your own season ticket holders. You know, we want the Medeski Stadium to be rocking. Sometimes it isn't. It's a bit like the chicken and egg. Do the players get the fans excited or can the fans... You know, get the atmosphere rocking to, to 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 wake the players up. I think the players have got to do it for the fans. You know, I think the tempo has got to be a, a lot uh, higher. I think the intensity has got to be greater at home from the, the first whistle. I remember watching us, you know, kick off under Gomez and Stam and going backwards and then just going across. And I'm, listen, I'm not daft. I get, you know, they want to play the possession game and, and be patient and they would sooner keep the ball than just hoof it and give it away. 
But when you're at home, you've got to have a little bit of an urgency. You've got to have that intensity. You've got to have that tempo. You know, I remember, and I, I, listen, I, I didn't play in this team, the 106 team, but I remember watching them. And the balls were going out for a throw-ins or corners. And you had Sonko and Inga Marcin sprinting 50 yards. You had Glenn Little running out wide. The ball boy or ball girl would put the ball down. Sonko and Inga Marcin were arriving in the box. Blakey or Convy or somebody would whip the ball in. The intensity, the urgency was incredible. That got the fans off their seats. And that, you know, that, that would show them, well, these players are, are up for it. It's a home game, you know. And if you can get on the front foot at home, get that goal, then you know, you're in the ascendancy and, and, and your favourites. And I haven't seen a lot of that at home. And that's disappointing me. Yeah, that really has disappointed me. Again, I understand the possession football, but, you know, I could have still played for the opposition under, uh, against Gomez's teams uh, or Yapstam's team. I could have easily played for the opposition, even at 45 years of age. I'm older than that now. But I, I honestly believe, because the centre-halves, they weren't asked to do anything, the opposition. They were just just jogging across, jogging across, winning a few headers, jogging across. They weren't run down the channels. I'd struggle doing that. They weren't coming short and spinning in behind. I'd struggle doing that now, you know? So I think the urgency, the tempo has got to be better. We've got to score a lot more goals from open play. And we're at home. You know, you want your season ticket holders. They spend the money. You want your fans to be excited. Let's excite our fans. This, that's got to be part of the, the turnover in the club as well. Is the, the opinion from players that we've heard probably for the last three or four years as to the fact that it's a hostile environment to play at the Medici Stadium. Um, if Mark Bowen still has any of these players left at the club, I implore him, please, please try and find them a new club this summer where they get treated a little bit better at home because, I mean, you know, Reading is not a, Reading is not a tough environment to play in. We've had we've we've given the players and the management and the board of directors a pretty easy run for the last four or five years. Um, I think if you're struggling to play in this environment, frankly, you probably will struggle to play anywhere. Um, and Bowen needs to look to move those kind of players on. I think if, they, if that's the case, however talented they might be, like it's you you need the right mindset. Um, and anybody who thinks that playing playing in front of a half empty stadium is is a difficult ground to play in is not the mindset I think we should be looking for. It just sounds like excuses to me. This is what it sounds like when players say that about the Medici Stadium. I understand it when you're playing for a club like, I mean, I don't like to say it, but Leeds United, there is a volatile crowd. There is a crowd that will turn on you massively. At the Medici Stadium, the biggest thing that Redden fans do is a bit of booing or leave early. Is that sound bad? We're though, not kind of volatile as a group of fans. It's standard. Deeply care. It, it's Sorry. standardable. It's standard. It's standard. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. For, for the players who come into the club and uh, Reading fans, that's what he said earlier. The bar has been set much lower than much lower than previous years because we keep success successfully, or not successfully. Sorry, uh, consecutively seeing mediocre seasons. The bar gets lower and lower. The bar this season was less stay in the championship. Like that's. Ultimately, if yes, if we were a team which were like Wickham next season coming up, that was a great season. But Reading have shelled out millions and millions and millions of pounds over the last four or five years. How, like it can't be seen as a good season to keep staying in the championship. At some point, Reading fans' expectations need to be greater, and we need to see improvement and progression. Um, because, like you said, it's excuses from players and it's excuses from managers, and it's 
really realistically it's just not really on to keep hearing this that same that same message of yeah we'll stand up and we'll be counted and it's difficult playing here it's like we've we've heard it all now for three or four years and i think it's uh it's going to come to a head if we if we see next season and we see that kind of performance level and uh, performance level and kind of level of comments coming out from players and and from the club next season the the crowds are just going to keep dropping and we'll end up seeing league crowds under 10,000 next season i think if that's the case uh, outside of any yeah no i was going to say in the context yeah. of covid we all know what we're yes. saying alex because everyone will say we've had uh, nobody there at all but hopefully ad i want to see uh, optimism towards next season because everyone's going to be affected by the covid situation there's not going to be one club that isn't going to be financially hit by it is there so it kind of we haven't helped ourselves with the finances before, but we're not going to be alone by losing players that we'd like to keep, like John Swift, maybe, maybe Liam Moore moving on. It's hard to say, isn't it? Just on those two, just quickly, because you know they are big players for Reading. Well, mm-hmm. in they might not be everybody's cup of tea, but they're big players for maybe different reasons. The John Swift for me is undoubtedly one of Reading's better players. You know, John Swift is probably the only player. And it doesn't happen that often, but that stands over a free kick. I think we've got a chance. You know, I, I used to think Simon Osborne will put this in the top corner every time. I used to think Darren Kasky will put it in the top corner every time. And quite often they did, to be honest, you know. And, and, and John Swift has got that ability. John Swift, for me, undoubtedly one of Reading's better players. So can we afford to let him go for three and a half million? I think that's on the cheap. I really think that's on the cheap. You know, good luck to John Swift, by the way. If I was John Swift, I'd want to go because I'd want to play in the Premier League. Sheffield United have got something good going at the moment. You know, we talk about rocking Medeski Stadium. Bramall Lane is rocking at the moment. You know, they've had an unbelievable season. So good luck to John. If I was his agent, I'd be looking to get him out there. Why would you keep him at Reading? Why would you keep him at Reading when they've been fighting relegation five out of six years? So if John Swift does leave, the only thing I would like it to be would be for more money. I would have nothing against John. I would wish him well, and I hope he performs in the Premier League. Liam Moore is a different ball game because I don't think Liam Moore, although he wears the armband, is everybody's cup of tea. But Liam Moore is a huge player for Reading because of the wages that he's earning. So that's the difference. And and I think I tweeted something a few weeks ago. I think that you know for what players are earning and what their performance to, to wages isn't great at the, you know, this season. It hasn't been great. And you'd have to say Liam would put his hand up. He's an honest boy. You know, he hasn't played as well as he'd like to this season. It, it happens. That's football. But when you're on that sort of dough in the championship at a club like Reading, you have to perform or you will come in for stick purely because of money. Whereas Swift is ability and he's younger and he's going to go and improve his career. The Liam Moore situation is purely about money because if he was on half of what he's earning, he's a blimmin' good signer. I totally agree with that. It's a big contract he was given by the owner, doesn't it? That's the that's the underlying issue. Whenever you see a Liam Moore situation come up on social media, which is always a dangerous place in general when it comes to uh, people's opinions on football, sometimes it's a kind of it's the first thing he's on such amount of wages and he should be doing, but the. It is, it is an important part of the conversation, isn't it? it you can't ignore that that fact is there. He's on, no, none of us know exactly how much, but he's on a huge wage. He must be. 
it, it feels like with Livermore, especially, that, as Lady said, performance versus wages. You really want to have players who are low wages, high performance. And uh, Liam Moore at the minute is kind of the opposite, unfortunately. You, you're getting average performances from him. Um, and I, uh, I, I don't think that's particularly unfair. Um, I think his performance level this season has been not that great. Um, I think we've seen him dropped four or five times now this season. Um, the Bowen, which again, as captain, that's really not what you want to see. Um, I, I, I looked the other day and I think his win rate is something like 25% as captain, 26%. It's extremely low. Um, but the, the problem now becomes, what do you do with him? He's on a massive wage. He's not going to get given that wage anywhere else because of his performance level. And he's got a contract, which is another three years. This is like, this is kind of the the epitome of the problem with Reading in the last four or five years is this is the Liam Moore situation which we find ourselves in now. Um, you've got players who are, who are on wages which they don't really justify for years and years which they don't really justify again. Um, and I mean, Moore's not the only one, so it's unfair just to single him out there. Um, there's, there's obviously players in the, in the squad who are on wages which are extremely high and, and not even getting into the squad. Um, Shane Aluko is a prime example on massive wages, I imagine, and doesn't even make the 20 player squads that we had at the end of the season. Um, it, I, I think that we're going to see Liam more playing at Reading next season. I, I don't really see any other kind of out for it. Um, as much as Reading fans, I think, would like to see the wages come off the wage bill when him being sold for whatever, four or five million, however much we'd get for him. I don't really see any club which would see him as a, a viable signing. So I think he's going to end up being here next season. Yeah, realistically, that probably will be the case, won't it? And why would he move? I don't blame him again. He's got a contract and he should stick with it. Um, done nothing wrong. On a positive, I just want to finish on a slightly up note. Um, up note, I can't even speak now. <laughs> it's Michael Morrison. I think there is a man who's come in on a free transfer and actually sets an example to all the players. I don't think it's any coincidence that every time we've had a clean sheet, he's been on the pitch. So a good signing that we talked about earlier, free signings, they are out there, Adi, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, um, you know, Morrison's come in. He had a good year at Birmingham, you know, yeah. the, the year before he signed for Reading. So, you know, he's not old, he's not young. So he was fit, he was healthy. I think he played about 46, 48 games for Birmingham. I think he might even played a few more with Cup games. You know, he had a really good season prior coming to us. I think he was their captain for a while. Good, honest defender. And I know the modern game has changed. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not stupid. I know the modern game. But I like defenders defending. I like to see defenders enjoy defending. And Morrison enjoys defending. Tom McIntyre enjoys defending. They like putting their head in there. And I'm not saying Liam Moore doesn't, but we're talking about Morrison. And just because McIntyre's been playing with him, they are two out-and-out -out central defenders. Now, ability-wise, I don't think any of them are Rio Ferdinand or, you know, uh, Darius Dovchek or, <laughs> you know, any of these cultured centre-halves. But they love defending. And do you know what? As a manager, someone like Mark Bowen knows... 
The ugly part of the game is defending, in all fairness. Whether it means a striker having to run 50 yards back, they don't want to do that, but that's horrible. Defender coming back, uh, a striker coming back and picking up somebody from a corner, they don't like doing it, strikers. But that's the ugly part. You know, if you go and score a goal, score a hat-trick, you'll be back pages of the papers. You'll be the hero. That's why strikers earn more money normally than, than defenders. But do the ugly part of the game. McIntyre does it. He enjoys it. Morrison does it. He, he enjoys it. He's a good, honest pro. He's gained the respect of the Reading dressing room very quickly, which I think is important. He's gained the respect of the Reading fans very quickly as a sign-in. That's very important because of his performances. He's no thrill centre-half. I like him. Alex, if you've got any positives we can finish on there. One player that you'd pick out, you'd think optimistic for next season. Maybe Michael Elise? Yes, Michael Elise I would probably pick out as being the biggest potential for next season. Um, he does have the, he has the opportunity to kind of go very far in the game. He's got a lot of technical ability. Um, and we have seen it in fits and starts this season. Uh, hopefully, Bowen knows how to use him, and he gets a decent, uh, decent spell out of Elise next season. And fingers crossed that Elise becomes a mainstay in the team. Um, we'll just have to see whether whether he fits into the system and style of play that Bowen wants to play. Um, uh, and then I guess outside of Elise, I, I definitely agree with with Ad Morrison and Morrison and McIntyre. I would be more than happy to see as a centre-back pairing next season. That is, uh, and I agree, you, everybody loves defenders who love defending, I think. You, every, people like to see players go up and win the big header and put in a big tackle. That's, that's what fans like to see when they're at the ground. Um, so, I mean, if those two were the, the starting centre-backs next season, I would be more than happy. Um, and it would be, I, I guess, the, the last kind of player I would be looking forward to seeing next season is Yedon. Um, I think he's had a kind of stop and start season this year, but we've seen him play, um, obviously, at the start of this season and, and, and obviously last season as well. Um, and we have seen um, when Yedham's played that he is decent at getting forwards and providing that kind of width and outlet on the right-hand side. And the best games that we've seen under Bowen have had very attacking wing-backs, Blackett getting forwards. Um, and when Yedon's been on the field, Yedon getting forwards and, and providing that kind of width to the, to the wide men up front. Um, and those have been the kind of the best games that we've, we've seen under Bone. Um, and I think that Yedon offers you a really, really good option like to be able to go forwards and actually give a different outlet um, when we're attacking. So it, I'm yeah really looking forward to seeing Yedon back in the team um, next season as well. Paul, Paul, can I just ask, just, just to, to go on to one point very quickly, I know we've been talking a long time. So without giving me explanations, you go first, Paul, your player of the year, player of the season. Who's My player of the season, John Swift. Alex? Yeah, the same. Okay. So my point is, we haven't even mentioned Yakumate, right? Now, we've sort of briefly mentioned him. Now, I came out quite outspoken when he got his new deal because I thought, well, blimey, he just signed a, a three-year deal and then a couple of weeks later or a couple of months later, he signed a new improved four-year deal. And I thought, do you know what? That's like that's like throwing money away. You've already got him tied up under a contract. Why Why do you have to give him a, a new improved one? Because I think at the end of the day, you've already got him tied up, blah, blah, blah. 
do you know what? Without Mate's goals, we'd be in League One next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, same, same, as, same as last season, Aiden. Without Mate's goals last season, we would have been relegated. Definitely, yeah, we discussed this on the podcast, and we say, how does he never come into contention? I'm not quite sure, but like you say, his goals, Aidy, are vital. His goals, he, he's got a relationship with the fans, even at the Medeski Stadium, when obviously fans can go to the ground. When they can't, i.e. now he's on social media, and everyone likes the brute, you know, he, and, and he, he comes out frequently and, and does his posts on Instagram and Twitter and everything else. So he's got that connection. I think Reading fans really like him. You know, unfortunately, he had a really sad time. I think his father passed away, and the Reading fans sort of rallied and understood him and really felt his pain. So I'm just, and like I say, I, I, I didn't give him stick. I just gave the situation a, a, a little bit of stick at the time. But I think, do you know what? He's never let Reading down, Mate. Is he cultured? Probably not. Is he got technical ability like John Swift? No. You know, he's a bit more the brute. You know, he's strong, powerful. He gives everything. And I think you can't take away the goals he scored this season and, as Alex said, last season. And, you know, for me, I love Swift. Raphael, outstanding. Morrison, really good this season. But it would have to be Mate for me, just because of his goals. Well, I think Aidy with Mate, he really fits that uh, minimum requirement, maximum effort statement that you were talking about. If you have 11 players like Yaki Mate, yeah, you might not have the, the best technical side or, the, you know, the, the most quality in your side, but you're going to have a team who are very, very willing and who are not going to leave anything on the field every week. Um, if Bowen can find 11 players who want to play like Yaki Mate every week, then we're not going to be in a relegation battle next season at all. We're going to be somewhere, you know, somewhere much higher at the table because you're going to have players who want to leave everything on the field. Um, and I, I, I do, I, I agree with you to an extent um, with, with Mate having that relationship with the fans and obviously on social media and, and in the stadium and things. Um, I think that the, the, the reason he kind of goes a little bit underappreciated is I still think that even now, I still don't think people really think he's a striker and still don't really think he's a wide player. And no one's really sure which, which player, which position he really should start in. So he always kind of gets a little bit uh, left out, I think, in terms of that, that conversation because no one's quite sure where you place him. Is he a goal scorer? Is he meant to be kind of a wide man, like creating? Um, and obviously he was top scorer this season. So you kind of think he should be playing up front, but actually he seems to play better out wide. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably the main reason he's kind of underappreciated. It's just people still, I, I still think people don't quite know where he's meant to fit into sides and what his, what his actual role is in a side. Yeah, I think people do. Yeah, I think you're right. I've, we've been kind of discussing this, as I said earlier, that we're not quite sure why he doesn't come into our top three or even top with those goals every single season. I'm not sure what there is. I'd like to work it out, but thanks a lot to uh, both of you for joining me on the podcast. It's been really good. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully we find some positives for you to look forward to as a listening to this for Reading FC next season. We'll see how it goes. So cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye.